0: Hi guys, welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast in partnership with Koan, the dedicated OKR platform. I'm delighted to say that today I'm welcoming Lisa Shufro, the chief storyteller from Measure What Matters to the episode. So Lisa, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background
1: and what led you to OKRs? Wow, jumping right in! <laughs> <laughs> we're so excited to to uh, partner with you on this episode. We've been big fans of both Koan and and uh, Giants for a while, um, okay. and uh, whenever I'm like, "Does anyone actually want a podcast on OKRs?" I'm like, "Why?" Yes. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Um, so, my background is actually that I'm a media executive. Um, I've worked mostly in the conference space. Um, I'm best known for having been the head of programming for TED Med, which is the largest spinoff of TED focused on health and medicine. And since then, I've been an independent curator in the conference space. Prior to that, I had 10 years working in business innovation. So, TED Med was kind of this convergence of technology and design and culture. Um, and I Ideas worth spreading. So, I'm a specialist at identifying what's essential about a problem or a solution and explaining it to broad audiences. I was recruited from TEDMED by Tony Shea to do curation for his downtown project in Las Vegas. Um, But while I was there, uh, I also launched his Holacracy system. Um, which was a distributed management system designed to really bring about uh, innovation and learning across communities. Mm -hmm. And um, it was part of his vision to reimagine cities and corporate longevity. Um, After that, I continued to work with conferences around the world. And after John Doerr wrote the book, Measure What Matters, uh, the the genesis there is it's not just a book, it's a movement. yeah. And so I, they reached out to me and asked me to tell more stories for them based on the work that they'd seen me do working with leaders and building community through content.
0: Fantastic. So your role is kind of very much about getting that message out there in a kind of storytelling way, like you say.
1: Yes, I think that was um, interesting that John... Um, wrote his first book about leadership goal setting and specifically about OKRs. I also think it's interesting that uh, he doesn't see this as a a field guide. The book itself, for anyone who's uh, read it, is very much stories about leaders, about Mm -hmm. teams, you know, and watching OKRs transform how, these teams interact. So storytelling is, is part of the culture of what matters because rules must happen in context and, and we very much emphasize that context.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that we'd very much advocate at the Giants is the fact that it's okay it has a very much kind of a methodology and a set of kind of principles, but they need to flex and kind of everywhere they go. So it's almost about those stories of them working in different environments, which is really important. Um, so you mentioned you mentioned the book in your kind of past sentences, and I think it's fair to say that most people who look to OKRs probably buy Measure What Matters, and they may not read it all, but they've probably skimmed enough of it to think they get OKRs and they've probably got an opinion. So that kind of <laughs> leads me on to my first question nicely. So we're kind of intrigued to know how you guys OKRs you use OKRs at Measure What Matters internally.
1: Wow. Um, Well, you know, I think like every other organization, it's an iterative process. And we were so lucky that the role model for setting great OKRs is uh, John and Ryan, who learned it from Andy Grove. So um, I think what's been wonderful about our own team's experience with OKRs is always getting to see the best of um, and see someone who really hasn't spent a day of their career independent of OKR style thinking. Um, So what matters is very entrepreneurial in -hmm. its spirit. And I think John would be the first to say that the thing about entrepreneurs is you're always trying to do more than you thought possible. Than with less than you than anyone thought was possible, um, and so OKRs are a vital part of our own practice. We're a distributed team, and we use OKRs at the start of every single meeting to make those meetings quick and productive because we're all uh, simultaneously working mm. and having other lives. As <laughs> has been proven quite interesting in this past year with the, yeah. with the pandemic. So um, you know, like any team, it it, it takes cycles to improve. Um, uh, one of our team members who writes our newsletter, um, her first okay, we have a video out where she says, look, my first okay, was deliver excellence. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> and now she writes our newsletter. So, you know, anyone can learn the skill, but it it is not intuitive. And so we practice, we practice with every meeting. We practice with every one-on-one. And it's been remarkable to see um, how the discipline around how could we define what matters, how mm-hmm. can we measure it with greater sophistication has transformed our team. Um, and I think maybe what's distinctive about our own OKR practice relative to the organizations that we coach or advise um, is We've learned that failure really is part of the process—not just mm-hmm. failure at the goals, but failures at OKRs mm-hmm. <laughs> themselves. Uh, that it's not about the stick at the end of the cycle um, and 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 the performance review of you know is this is this failing at this goal going to result in in a damage to my reputation? It's really a discipline um, mm-hmm. of learning how um, to achieve heights of performance that you didn't think were in, in reach. And you have to have the faith that you're going to iterate and figure out how to succeed with each successive cycle. So I think that's maybe the philosophy um, that has been the most enriching for our own team.
0: And I think that's interesting what you say about the kind of the stick at the end of the cycle. And I think if you're encouraging that stretch, which is something that we would definitely encourage people to do, if they think there's gonna be a stick at the end, then there's gonna be no stretch involved because they wanna be able to meet obviously their objective. So, and that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I suppose you kind of touched on it then really, and I suppose I just kind of want to bring you back to it. And would you advise our listeners um, on some of the best practice that John writes
1: about? And I suppose he probably instills in your team as well internally. Sure. Um, you know, I think the the most difficult part of the discipline is to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ryan likes to use the term that an objective should be poetic, which I love, not just because that's an inspirational quality. This isn't just a touchy-feely thing. But that quality of poetry is what is the fewest number of words that you need to make a connection. Mm. And that is what makes poetry so powerful relative to prose. And so this notion of being able to distill the essence of your business the or whatever your team mission is, right, to, to focus on those matters which are most consequential and to say it simply
0: mm.
1: is not just about making people feel good. It's about demonstrating the depth of your own understanding. So that quest to define precisely and simply and understandably in as few words as possible is quite a good discipline for leaders of all Uh, stages uh, and levels of experience and I think another best practice you know you can read the book and you can read our website for all of the the tips and the mechanics of doing OKR as well but I think one that doesn't get talked about nearly enough is thinking about OKRs as a set Mm. that there's a tendency to say oh there's this oh okay so what's But then that zooming out moment and looking and saying, okay, there are four KRs associated with this O. Is this a complete accounting? Do these work together? Mm -hmm. Are we balancing quality along with quantity so that um, this relationship, as Laszlo Bach uh, of Humu and formerly of Google puts it, the precise relationship between the objective and the set of key results is, I think, an underrated uh, best practice.
0: Mm, No, it's really really yeah, Yeah.
1: and then I think the third one that we hammer on a lot is that a lot of people think that the OKRs themselves, once you've written them, like magic, you know, (laughs) just go, you know, we we have a plan, we have a plan, and that's so not the intent. So there's OKRs, the goals themselves, and but OKRs only function in an environment. Where you're having constant dialogue about what matters and reorienting because it is so easy to get distracted Mm -hmm. by other things that seem important, other things that seem urgent, other things. I mean, I could fill my day with just business as usual, like most humans, right? But to remind myself on a daily basis, on every conversation basis, that yes, I could fill all my time. I need to be excellent here, though. And, and organize around that. Um, so that discipline of conversations, feedback, and recognition that OKRs are part of a system of interactions and dialogues and reorientation, reorientation constantly um, is I think another best practice that's under under talked about.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. It's kind of almost that that integration piece is where they don't just sit on their own floating around in your business somewhere. They've got to be integrated in kind of conversations and day-to-day workings rather than just kind of, we catch up on OKRs once a month and they're just kind of put back on the shelf because that's just not how they're going to work. So,
1: No, no. I mean, and I think there's a tendency to forget how far you've drifted away Mm. from that original orientation point. So, you know, our team spends a healthy amount of time thinking about what our annual objectives are. We keep them pretty abstract. We keep them very high level um, because we know that figuring out the detail happens on a quarterly basis, but we try not to get too far ahead and we try not to get too far behind in the Goldilocks just right kind of mode, right? And to, to have the discipline of, right, this is the most important priority. Um, it, it's, it's amazing how easy it is to get distracted from that. Absolutely.
0: No, I completely agree. Really interesting. Um, you mentioned Andy Grove a little bit earlier in something you said. Um, and I just wanted to kind of ask a question about his OKRs that are outlined in Measure What Matters. And there's been a little bit maybe of backlash on these and about how they're not how how they're not how you write OKRs. Yes, so, <laughs> so I suppose, can you embellish to our listeners why Andy does understand OKRs and why John <laughs> kind of chose him as an example, really, for the book?
1: I have actually seen people say, you know, Andy didn't understand OKRs. And I'm like, he invented them. I think <laughs> them just fine. Um, and, you know, and I think there's, there is a tendency, I think, for people to say, what are the rules? Mm -hmm. and it can be difficult with a system that is as maybe elusive to do right as OKRs. Uh, It can be very tempting to say, you know, every OKR must do X, Y, and Z. Mm. So what matters takes the position that OKRs are flexible and they're adaptable, and they must be understood by your organization. If your organization has committed to what's stated. That's the thing that's important. We absolutely think that OKRs should be outcome oriented, but the way that each organization interprets their own lingo, their own Mm. language is up to them. So I think people outside of of Intel or outside of Andy Grove's thinking at the time may look at those first OKRs that Andy Grove wrote and be like, well, those are all outputs. Mm. You know, if, if we can check these things off the list, and, the, and that's the critique of those mm-hmm. first OKRs, they're, they're, they're a to-do list. But I think if you understand and you look a little bit deeper in the story that's written in the book, what becomes clear is that those things that are phrased as outputs still required a significant amount of change. So, you know, the performance of the chip had to be X, which means it had to move from its baseline <clears throat> to where they could put it in a deck that it was capable of doing this. So the output may be written as produce a deck, but underneath it, in order to be able to make that statement, the chip performance had to improve. So it was an outcome. And so I think the lesson there is um, that as long as the teams themselves understand what is changing about performance, and there is a measurable difference between starting point and end point, that's the part that makes it the OKR. And and there are inputs, there are outputs, and there are outcomes, and yes, lead towards outcomes, but phrase it in the way that your team gets it. Koan is a purpose-built solution for managing your OKRs. Helps your team achieve their objectives and key results, helps them get aligned, and it helps them stay engaged. Shared spreadsheets simply don't scale when you're using OKRs properly, and you're not gonna have a maximum impact with them. But with Koan, you can scale your OKRs right across your entire company, keeping your team super motivated and moving everybody in the right direction. Roger, what's one of your favorite features about Koan? So the thing that I really love about Koan and have done ever since I first saw it was how it really puts the conversation around OKRs at the heart of the system and it really helps stimulate that which obviously brings really good collaboration you know they've got this uh, reflections feature which uh, helps uh, individuals really prepare for the uh, the team conversation which is going to come up where the collaboration is going to take place so that would definitely be the thing for me which is the the killer feature of the system.
0: Yeah, because I think you're so right. Because you could write something for one organization, and it completely fit, and then write something for another organization, and just be like, what? What is that? It just doesn't make sense to us.
1: Yeah, and one of the outcome, you know, one of the the examples we use in our OKRs 101 series, which is a free video series on the site, is we make this distinction between inputs, outputs, and outcomes. And of course, um, if you want an outcome, you know, makes the most sense. Uh, at first to, to phrase your KRs that way. And we use the example of, we want to get our candidate elected. Mm -hmm. That's an outcome, Mm -hmm. right? But if you you set that as your OKR, you know, you're, you've waited too late. Like you Mm -hmm. can't Mm -hmm. measure that um, in time. So in that case, are you going to measure how many doors you knock on as an input? How many people say they're going to commit as an output? Mm -hmm. Though in that case, an import or an output may actually be the more sophisticated thing to measure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even though the thing you want is a clear outcome.
0: Yeah. But it's the journey, isn't it? Like you say, to get to that yeah. outcome. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. And I'm sure like our listeners will probably listen to you speak about it all day. So <laughs> um, another big debate is always or something that we hear all the time: should everyone in the organization have OKRs? And I kind of just wanted to come to you for your opinion on it. Yes, no.
1: I would love to hear yours on this. Too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, all right. I, let me ask you this, because I, I think there are 100 answers to this. And the answer is yes. Um, I mean, yes, that that answer is correct. Um, and, and again, it's it's organization dependent. But before I answer that, I'm actually super curious to hear yours.
0: Yeah. I mean, kind of just what you've said, very much organizational dependent. We wouldn't say if in an organisation of 200 people, yes, everyone's got to have an OKR. And it might be that the reason that UK are using OKRs for that specific growth project, that it only kind of relates to maybe three teams in the organisation. So why would you then give an OKR to someone that's not kind of related to it? So it might be that this is where the kind of relationship between OKRs and um, KPIs come in. Mm. So at least other teams have got KPIs that they're working towards that then can be something that they're measuring that might be business as usual activity, but then they've got the teams working on OKRs for growth projects.
1: I love the distinction that you're making about the difference between KPIs and OKRs, which is, I think, one of the most confusing things. Yeah. And and I also really appreciate what you just said that, <clears throat> you know, people can feel anxious mm. if their work isn't reflected in an OKR. And Definitely. what can easily the slippery slope there is they start putting their job description in the OKRs. Mm -hmm. So, that distinction between we use our job descriptions and we use our KPIs to talk about what we're going to produce for an organization, but our OKRs are all about growth and change Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and really making that distinction very, very clear. So, should everyone in your organization have OKRs? From our perspective... um, the most important thing is to make sure that you have executive support or as mm-hmm. support as high up in the organization as possible because it's a garbage in, garbage out mm-hmm. kind of principle. And so focus more. I think it's more important to have useful OKRs. Definitely. As high level in the organization as possible and to make sure that they are growth and, and change oriented. There's one very interesting um case study that, that we have coming out uh, with Nubank, a fintech, um, that's really taking off in, in Latin America. And, you know, the debate there, uh, the interview is is with a career uh, OKR user, Google, Facebook, Quantcast, uh, all these uh, OKR sort of giants, and now is using them at Nubank, and talks about that anxiety of what if the work that I'm doing this cycle isn't aligned with the OKRs doesn't mean I'm still important. Mm -hmm. And the distinction that that he made that I thought was really, really helpful was that it sort of gives you permission to go off Broadway and work on your own thing. Like chances are that what you're doing in your job does involve growth and change, um, but it may or may not be the spotlight focus Mm -hmm. for this next cycle. And so, take it, if, if you have work that doesn't lend itself directly to the, the highest level OKRs, as long as it aligns to the mission, as long as it is growth and change oriented, think of it as your chance to kind of be in a, be in a healthy form of silo
0: mm.
1: and do that experimental work to determine whether or not it can and should be mainstreamed later on. So in that case, you know what we would say is, um, I don't think it's a requirement that every individual has to have an OKR, um, but wherever there is growth and change, it's a great opportunity for you to use OKRs not only to track your commitment to your own work, but chances are you're doing it with someone else, yeah. and um, and OKRs will be useful in any scenario uh, in which you need to rely on other people and commit collectively to what it is you're going to do together because it's amazing how many interpretations <laughs> <laughs> can happen even among two people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. And so that like really something we believe in quite strongly is that collaboration and it's not about kind of siloing off. It's very much about kind of, it might be that you need to work across four teams to complete this this OKR. So it's very much about collaborative work and so... Yeah, really interesting again. Um, so there's a huge gap between maybe ideas and execution of OKRs. So people have this great idea, we're going to go for it. And then the execution may not live up to it. So kind of what common pitfalls do you see? And, do, and most importantly, how can you, I suppose, can you help remedy them? And I'm not asking you to list off a whole list of kind of pitfalls, but the most common ones, I guess, that you see.
1: I know, I'm just like, this, we've just gotten into the self-help category <laughs> and like <in> the life <laughs> category right there. Um you know this this gap between ideas and execution is the human condition in a lot of yeah. ways, right? Um, and I think that it's happening more and more in situations where teams are dealing with complexity and uncertainty, which is now much more normal or much more common, I guess I should say, Mm -hmm. um, than, than uncommon. So what are your coping mechanisms for that? And again, you know, the website and you yourselves have so many resources um, uh, for the tips and tricks. Um, So I think the, the, the best advice that I can offer here is that remember that the book is called measure what matters. Yeah. Not everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think also think it's significant that, You know, the book is called Measure What Matters, but when John and Ryan started the site, it's what matters.
0: Mm.
1: And there's this tendency to believe that we have to track everything, Mm. but that's overwhelming. And um, not needed, probably either. It's definitely not needed. There are things that for the next 90 days have an outsized impact on our goals. And and in talking with Ted, for example, when they uh, used ACARS, one of the insights that they shared was that, yes, you know, all of these were good ideas. All of us are inspired, mission oriented, high performing people who want to do good in the world, but we could actually get more done if we could agree that we're only going to be excellent at these five things for the next 90 days. Mm -hmm. And when you begin to think beyond what you think is a good idea and instead say for the next 90 days, we're all going to pull in the same direction. Um, And then next 90 days, we'll talk about whether that thing that I'm passionate about belongs. But for the first 90 days, I'm going to take out the noise of thinking that I have to get my thing across too. And instead, these are our things that transition um, to we've decided collectively for the next 90 days, this is what matters and we're going to measure our progress, Mm -hmm. not as um, self-punishment, not as cause for judgment and and, and terribleness, uh, but instead as an opportunity to learn how to orient better in the next cycle. Yeah,
0: I think that's really important what you've just said and I think it touches on kind of what you said right at the start about how you use them internally about learning from every kind of cycle. And um, that's something that we see quite often is people trying to implement them and then not getting it right first time and almost thinking they've failed. And it's not a failure at all. It's very much about kind of learning what can you change to make it better next time and then again and again and again. So it's very much that like test, learn and adapt kind of process.
1: Yes. And it's always surprising to me, you know, if you are a high performing athlete or artist, you know, you kind of, or, you know, want to be a pop star, like you go into that profession expecting to fail and being yeah. surprised when you succeed. But in so many other disciplines, you go expecting to succeed and feeling mm. devastated if you fail. And I, I think um, there is, I, I think the healthiest organizations I know are focused less on whether they succeeded or failed and more about can we recover do we have the means to recover and keep moving? Are we clear about where we're going? Um, and, and be delighted that you got your mistakes out before anything really big happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, the ways that you can make mistakes are exponentially larger than the ways that you can succeed. Um, to go super nerdy and literary for a moment, I'm reminded of, uh, Tolstoy in, um, Anna now where he says, uh, all happy families are alike, but each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, you know, what OKRs can do is say, this is what happy looks like. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> what are, are the different ways um, that each team has to grapple with recovering and, and losing and recovering and losing um, what it is that we, we think we want. And, really, and yeah. so, yeah, our you know, again, like you, we have a lot of resources between our OKRs okay, 101 series and our guided cycle and our case studies. You know, all of those are intended to show, you know, unhappy families yeah. finding their way towards happiness in their own way. Um, but don't be afraid, you know, if if you're not, you know, cookie cutter, like yeah. you see it, you know, if you're not Google on, on cycle one.
0: Yeah, you're not absolutely perfect as soon as you implement them. It's never going to be like that way, really,
1: for most people. So yeah, any of you who are listening, who are (laughs) me? Shout out, yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, Something we've mentioned on, something we get asked all the time about is performance management and how um, about OKRs and performance management. And we think it's kind of important to separate the two, really. Um, So what's your kind of stance on this, really, around career growth and bonuses? And I guess job and stance as well.
1: Well, John's stance is the easiest one to describe. Don't mix them. Don't. Yeah. Um, I have had difficulty finding uh, organizations that make a complete separation. So on the other end, um, there is difficulty separating OKRs and performance reviews from existing performance review processes. And there's mm-hmm. this temptation to use the piece of paper on your OKRs um, as proof that you deserve your bonus and compensation. Um, From our perspective, uh, somewhere in the middle, I think Paul Niven is very good about saying it's a a matter of when the OKRs play into your performance. Um, So, you know, I think, again, there's a range of answers. Even John, I think, would say that sometimes um, a sales goal uh, might uh, be driven by an OKR. But I think what it is, is, you know, um, you have a job, you have responsibilities within your job. There are things that that job is supposed to accomplish over time. Mm -hmm. And then there are your OKRs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And your OKRs are meant to be what's the most aggressively realistic outcome that I can commit myself to. And you want to encourage people to set goals that force breakthrough thinking. Mm-hmm. So if they come in with OKRs that are red, but got them across the line far further than they would have if they had sandbagged, you wanna reward that behavior. Yeah. But we think the best way to reward that is to separate it completely. What do yeah. you see? Because I, I, you know, it's not the most satisfying answer. I think there, there are things like, don't make OKRs the only factor right? And and how do you deal with performance reviews? I think you do that based on those long-term outcomes on what the role is responsible for, how skillfully you manage a team, but the OKRs can and sh- if you'd write OKRs well, you should accomplish all of those things in your job description. Um, but I think using it as proof. Eh.
0: Very similar kind of stance, we would say not to kind of them to, to separate them basically and kind of i think that our stance is very much around kind of the risk element that we'd like people and the stretch going back to the stretch that we spoke about earlier so you want people to take almost risks and stretch themselves with your within your okr so if they they think they're not going to get their bonus or they're not going to be told they're doing well because they yeah. don't reach that okr then they're never going to stretch ultimately they're going to make sure it's probably a little bit easy so they can definitely make it which isn't what you want with from a growth or change strategy, like you say. So that's kind of our stance on it, really.
1: Yeah, I think the more that you want compliance, the more you really want, you know, what you're looking for is, you know, management. What you're looking for is project management and and productivity in a very traditional sense. And and those things are the backbone of a business. Mm. And it's really important to remember that OKRs are not that. OKRs are that space where you say, what's the, what's, What's the breakthrough? What's the thing that's going to make you think higher? Um, And, you know, if you don't distribute that kind of breakthrough thinking discipline throughout your organization, it falls at the, quote, top of your pyramid. Given how uncertain and complex the world we live in is today, that strikes me as not a smart strategy. You want to use the three pounds of jello that are inside the skulls of every member of your organization.
0: Definitely, no, completely agree. Yeah, I kind of want to dial down a little bit on this, if that's okay. So, Mm. um, something I know you chatted to Jill about in your in this pre episode call, um, and something that obviously you've said about integrating OKRs with PM processes, so performance management processes. But something you mentioned was about cautioning against mistaking OKRs for PM processes and vice versa. And I suppose just can we elaborate on that a little bit, really?
1: Yes, um, this is one of the things that I think is the hardest for organizations to truly grasp. And it's because it's not super intuitive. The, the the One of the early mistakes that a lot of organizations will make is they will turn everything they do into an OKR as a way of tracking activity. And we all know those painful meetings where <laughs> one-on-one you go around and you report what you did this week. Yeah and it's not interactive and it's not a problem solving and people are mostly just waiting for their turn to speak to prove that they've done something. Mm. It's not that those meetings are without purpose, but they are certainly low energy, <laughs> right? Um, and especially when everyone's dealing with Zoom fatigue, I think you have to be really thoughtful about why are we gathering? Why? Um, OKRs are really that point at which instead of talking about your work plan, instead of talking about your activity, you're instead talking about um, you know, if this, is, if this is a marathon, which mile marker are we on? Mm. Are we in the uphill portion? Are we, you know, uh, where are we in this journey? Um, and to make that a very quick check-in and see, all right, if we're running behind our times, you know, if we, we if we were planning to do the entire marathon at six, you know, uh, six minutes per mile, mm-hmm. and we're running at seven, what do we need to do? What? Yeah, right. And so, project management. Um, And I, you know, I I did my years as a project manager is more, I believe, about making sure that everything is accounted for. Everything that needs to be connected is connected. The people who need to be moving, you know, it's it's about the work plan and executing against the work plan. The OKRs are about where are we in the marathon and what are we going to need to get through this uphill portion? What are we going to do if it starts snowing? Yeah. And that can be used to drive your project management. But it, um, if you're using them as the same thing, I think people are going to get frustrated.
0: Mm. I think it's like, goes back to kind of what you're saying in the check-ins, it's about, those, it's about your confidence and where you're at in that journey, almost kind of, are you sitting at a really low confidence? If so, what needs to be done? Would Do you need help and all that kind of thing as well to kind of make sure that it just doesn't become, again, like this conversation that you have at the end of the, the three months. And it's like, we didn't really get there, but we, we knew a month in that we
1: weren't going to get there.
0: Yet. So it's like, what do you do about it really?
1: Yeah. Uh, and I, and I think the more that an organization gets comfortable walking in and saying, yeah, I said, I was going to run an eight minute mile, but I'm running at 10 and like seeing how many people are willing to be like, I'll help you this week. Yeah. Hand up. Yeah. I, um it's not the way a lot of us are trained um but that unlearning is such a joyful process
0: Mm. yeah great thank you um i think something we've touched on today is and we've mentioned krs quite a bit and i suppose we mentioned it at the the outset of the conversation and some structures where we find that some organizations struggle with krs um in terms of kind of what needs to be done to make sure krs are outcome focused and measurable and not a task is there any kind of key pointers you'd give or top tips and that kind of setting KRs K- K- for people?
1: Well, I think the, uh, yeah, going back to where we started, I think it's been really valuable for us um, two things. One is to zoom out again and, and remember, don't focus. You have to write the individual KR, mm-hmm. but then zoom out and say, are these five things the things that matter? To this objective. Mm-hmm. And very often what we'll find is that uh, do be careful about the phrasing because the difference between whether what we're after is to um, be easy to find versus most helpful changes the decisions that your team makes on a day-to-day basis. So a good KR isn't telling them what action step to take. It's telling your team here's how to distinguish what's right from what's more right. Mm -hmm. A good idea from a good, the hardest thing is the good idea versus the good idea, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not the good idea versus the bad idea. Hopefully you've hired well enough (laughs) to, to, to eliminate, you know, a whole lot of that. Everyone makes mistakes, but the hardest thing is how do we choose between good ideas? And a KR should help you decide that without the leader without the uh the person with the big title in the room so look at your kr and say will this help my team member choose between a good idea and a good idea
0: i like that a good idea with a good idea yeah it's good i like it <laughs> great no thank you that's really a good point to make um, I suppose my final question to you, Lisa, is um, one thing that we've encountered sometimes at TBG is people potentially reading the book. And I know something that we mentioned earlier is about, and this will touch in the answer here. I think is around how the book's more about examples and stories, mm-hmm. um, and it go in, and then potentially people have read the book and then they go it alone with an OKR implementation, and then they potentially may hit blockers, and some cases they may fail. And what would you say to that?
1: The good news is that there is actually a quite devoted and passionate community (laughs) of OKR enthusiasts and experts. And I've been very encouraged um, getting on social media and finding the likes of organizations like yourselves um, who are actively having the conversation. Because in the end, this is not a discussion about OKRs per se. This is So many people are suffering from bad leadership, Mm. (laughs) right? culture, yeah. (laughs) So what is a way through that? The most reliable way that we have seen is to focus on what matters and to measure it. We think OKRs is the most universal, flexible, easy method for doing that. And we've built the site around not just inspiring people, but we are building, you know, those FAQs and we're holding office hours and we are responding to people who send us inbox love letters and, <laughs> um, and all of that. Um, but we are by far not the only ones. We just see ourselves as, you know, one, one ring in, the, in a circus, a very joyful circus of, of making leadership work better. Um, so, you know, in addition to whatever resources we have on the site, Um, the newsletters that we offer, you know, there are wonderful community members out there. Everyone from that person struggling to get the reluctant person in your organization Mm -hmm. to adopt them or to get the busy executive to actually write great OKRs to, you know, coaches who have worked with, you know, everyone from logistics and supplies companies, you know, to the most cutting edge blockchain. You know, there are people out there. um, And if you follow us or follow you, I think you'll find a lot of people who are yeah. very one thing people always want to do is help you fix your okr i've mm-hmm. discovered that that is one of the fastest ways <laughs> <laughs> to 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 engage uh, this community so just ask
0: yeah it's a night really i suppose that's something we found as a supportive community in terms of sharing and kind of all that kind of sharing knowledge sharing all that and um, learning for me it goes back to the principle of learning all the time and kind of testing and learning so um yeah agree on that one, definitely. Um well fantastic. Thank you for joining me today. Um I could have spoken to you all day and I'm sure our listeners could have listened to you all day. So um thank you. but unfortunately this brings us kind of to the end of this episode of Giant Talk. So I want to say a massive thank you to you, Lisa, for joining me today's episode and we hope all listeners have enjoyed it. Um as always if you guys have got any questions or feedback about the podcast, please do get please do get in touch either via our social channels or at at growth.therebygiants.com. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Giant Talk. Thanks, Lisa.
1: Thank you, Jenny.